0: Well, this morning we continue our journey through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and finally we come to the Gospels. We come to the present kingdom where Jesus the King has arrived on the scene. Um, As we think about this, I want to kind of let you know where we are on this, uh, on this journey a little bit. Uh, how many of you have been on the Appalachian Trail ever, any part of it? Good. Do we have any brave souls who have hiked the entire thing? Okay. Good. I had some, um, when I was a, a college pastor, there were five college guys in our ministry who, after they finished school, uh, went on this journey. It took them five months to walk the entire, what is it, 2,300 miles or 2,100 miles. Um, I've been on a few little sections of it myself. I'm not one of those brave souls who would hike the entire thing. But I've been at least in places where uh, I stood on a high point, not the highest points that are there. You know, it goes from, what, Georgia to Maine. But there are those places along the way, like this one, where uh, you're standing in a place where you can look behind you and see the trail, uh, see from whence you came, and then you can look way down the trail and see where you're going. And uh, from that spot, you get breathtaking views like this. Um, That's that's kind of where we are now on this journey uh, through the story of Jesus. Um, We are standing uh, at a peak We're standing at the hill where the cross uh, stood. We're standing at the empty tomb, and we're looking back into the Old Testament from whence we came, and uh, we're looking back at all of those promises uh, of the kingdom that we've been talking about, and we're seeing them fulfilled in Jesus, and we're looking forward and seeing that from here on out, now, uh, everything changes because of Jesus, and the fact that the kingdom is now present. Uh, The view from here is breathtaking, and it changes everything about the way we see our lives. Um, The cross of Jesus casts its shadow backward on the path that began in the Garden of Eden and has led us now through the Garden of Gethsemane to the Garden Tomb, and now will continue on to the Garden City, which Revelation describes, where we will live together with him one day. Um, Someone has said that uh, you could uh, see the Bible as kind of an hourglass laying on its side. Well, that's not good. I just busted my clicker, Um, but an hourglass on its side, and everything that Has come so far in the Old Testament leads to a point, leads us to the cross of Jesus. So the Old Testament leads us to this point where we are today, and then the New Testament moves on uh, from here. So everything that has come has kind of come to this point, and now as we go on in the story, everything is uh, colored by and influenced by what has happened at the cross. So the promise in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. So that's kind of catching us up to where we are. Jesus is the center of God's story, and he invites all of us to love and learn and live in that story with him. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's pray. Father, uh, I am keenly aware that only your Spirit can open our eyes and, and say, as you said at the beginning of all things, let there be light. Only your Spirit can speak into our hearts and open our eyes to see and hear what you're saying about Jesus and embrace it. Only your spirit can do that. And I pray that this morning, um, as we spend a few minutes just gazing at the glory of Jesus uh, and how he fulfills all the promises that we've seen in the Old Testament over these last uh, few weeks, I pray, God, that you would speak, let there be light into every heart in this room this morning. Um, Some for the first time some for the millionth time, but we need you to speak into our hearts by the power of your Spirit. Would you do that? Would you show us Jesus? We ask in his matchless name. Amen. Um, I wonder who who gets to tell the story of the world? Who is allowed, who is it that is allowed to narrate the world's story? There's a whole lot of fighting going on about who gets to tell the world's story these days. So here are some options of people uh, that we, or groups, that we could think, well, they get to tell the world's story. At least they think they do. Uh, in this week, lots of politicians are trying to tell us the story of the world. Here's the story, and here's how you need to fit in it. Um, uh, marketing advertisements. Every commercial is someone telling you what the story is and how you fit in it. Every story, every commercial really is a a sort of a gospel. It tells you the bad news of why your life is you-know-what and how their product or their service is going to save you from the life uh, that you have that is so awful. So, Marketers are trying to tell you the story of the world. Uh, Pop culture is trying to tell us the story of the world. Every movie, every song, every uh, musical, whatever it is that's out there that we are uh, drinking in is trying to tell us the world's story and trying to tell us how we fit in it. Uh, Your social media news feed is is trying to tell you the world's story. Um, teachers, professors, parents, it, it goes on and on. There is a battle for the world's story. Who gets to be narrator? And ultimately, um, I think our culture would like you to believe that you get to tell the world's story. You do you. If you want to drink Diet Coke, Drink Diet Coke. Sorry, you've probably seen those commercials. Um, you, you know, you do you. Uh, what's your truth? You tell the world's story. And you tell the world how you're going to fit in it. Well, all of those obviously are created uh, people and groups. They're not the creator. All of those are mortal people. They're not immortal all of those are dying voices. They're not death-defying voices. The Bible teaches us that the only one who should get to tell the world's story is Jesus, of course. You knew I was going to go there. The one who created the world and is recreating it, he gets to narrate the world's story. The one who conquered sin, Satan, and suffering, and even death itself, he gets to tell the world's story. The one who kicked open the gates of hell from the inside out and rose as the victorious king of kings and lord of lords, he gets to tell the world's story. I have basically one point this morning, and yeah, I'm sorry, it'll take me a while to get there, but uh, the, the one point this morning is the same point that God makes in the passage that we just heard from Luke 9 listen to him listen to Jesus out of all the voices that are trying to tell you the world's story and how you fit in it listen to the one who's resurrected from the grave in Luke chapter 24 after Jesus resurrection he told some of his disciples, he said this, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then, later that evening, he said These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms, which is the entire Hebrew Bible, must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be... Proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you're witnesses of these things, he said. The resurrected Jesus then said, after his resurrection, after proving that he had power over all of life and over death, stood and said, now look, the scriptures are all about me. I get to tell the world's story Because it's mine to tell. And let me tell you how you're going to fit in it. Friends, we have got to listen to him. And now, for, for the skeptical, you know, okay, Jesus resurrected? Friends, we believe what a lot of people think is crazy. We believe that a man rose from the dead and is still alive and wants to call the shot demands to call the shots in our lives. How can we believe such things? Listen to this that I read this week from a a guy named Greg Kokel. He says, nowadays the vast majority of scholars on the life of Jesus, including those who are entirely secular and have no religious stake in the matter, so this is the vast majority of scholars, both Christian and not Christian, who study the New Testament, They agree to four facts of history. First, Jesus died on a Roman cross on Friday and was buried in a tomb. Second, that tomb was empty Sunday morning. Third, numerous witnesses testified at great peril to themselves that they saw Jesus alive multiple times after he had died, that they met with him and even ate with him. And finally, number four, Even the skeptic James, his half-brother, and the mortal enemy of Christians, Saul of Tarsus, were convinced they had seen Jesus risen from the dead and both willingly died rather than recant. James was stoned and Paul was beheaded. Those four facts of history are believed by Christian and non-Christian scholars alike. And this is what Paul wrote concerning this Jesus whom he formerly hated. He said, I delivered you as of of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, as he wrote this, though some have fallen asleep, he said. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And then later Paul wrote to the Romans and said this about Jesus. Paul, he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. He says, I was set apart for the gospel of God, which... God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrected Jesus is the one who gets to tell the story of the world and who gets to tell you your story. Michael Horton said this, and sorry to read it, but I I can't say it any better. He said, The most basic claim of the Christian faith rests on the person of Jesus, and the truth of the Bible depends on the truth that Jesus is God. If Jesus isn't God, the Bible is nothing more than a mixture of history, philosophy, fables, and advice. If Christianity is not true, then Scripture is neither, neither useful nor helpful. If Jesus is God then the Bible's message is of the utmost importance for every human being. If Jesus rose from the dead and then said, you need to read the scriptures because they tell you your story, we need to listen to him. Horton goes on to say that the the British apologist C.S. Lewis made this very same case in his book, Mere Christianity. He referred to a famous argument called the trilemma, He said, if Jesus did not come in the flesh, live a sinful life, die on the cross, and rise from the dead, he was either a liar, since he promised he would rise from the dead, he said it in the passage we read in Luke 9 this morning, he was either a liar or he was a lunatic, since only only a crazy man would claim to be the Son of God who came down from heaven. Yet if he was who he said he was and did what the apostles said he did, then Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is who he said he is, God, who became man for our salvation, it changes everything. It will change the way you think about God, your life, and the world around you. If Jesus is who he said he is, and he did what the eyewitnesses said he did on the cross and in that tomb, then friends, we must listen to him as he tells us his story and how our stories fit in his that's what God the Father said in Luke chapter 9 this morning he said this is my son my chosen one listen to him so if you get nothing else this morning get this listen to Jesus listen to him now what I'm about to do is just go through and give you reason after reason after reason after reason why his story is true his story is our story and we must listen to him. Jesus started in that passage in Luke 9. He asked the disciples, he said, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they said, well, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the other prophets of old that's risen? See, the crowds thought highly of Jesus. They thought highly of Jesus, as many people do today, but not highly enough. Jesus didn't leave us the option of believing he was merely a terrific teacher or a profound prophet. Remember, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. You can't say Jesus is a good teacher or a great prophet and and, and just leave that as good. Because he claimed to be God in the flesh. He's crazy if if he's not telling the truth. And then Jesus turns the question to his disciples as he turns it to you and to me this morning. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter's famous response is, you're the Christ of God. Christ is the Greek form of Messiah, which means anointed one. You're the, you're the one that we've been waiting for, that we've all been talking about for the last six weeks. Jesus is the promised king who would sit on David's throne. And Jesus' response was, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody about this. Um, And he said, the the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and be raised. Why, Why not tell people this good news? Because they weren't going to hear it the way it needed to be heard. They were, uh, he is not the kind of king they were looking for. They were expecting someone to come and overthrow uh, Rome and sit on his throne right then. He had something else to do first. So then, then Jesus says this interesting thing. He says, there are some standing here right now who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Well, that's interesting. What does that mean? And Scholars have gone back and forth over trying to figure out what what does he mean? Some of these will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Well, the very next thing that happens is, Luke says, then eight days later, they went up on a mountain, and Jesus was transfigured in his glory. And so most Bible teachers believe that that's what he was talking about, When they went up on the mountain with Jesus and he shone like lightning in front of them, they were seeing the kingdom of God because the king had come. So let's think about that for a little bit. Jesus is the one who who fulfills the kingdom of God. Um, He is the one we've been talking about. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place, under God's rule, and enjoying God's blessing this event that took place on that mountain shows that Jesus is the one who comes to bring that kingdom. Um, so he comes and uh, it says his appear- the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. That, that means like lightning white. Unlike Adam who was to reflect the glory of God as one made in God's image. And unlike Moses, who literally reflected the glow off of his face after he had been in the presence of God, Jesus doesn't reflect God's glory. God's glory originates with Jesus. There's there's no reflecting going on in this story. Jesus' glory was original with him because it is the glory of God. And and he shows that... um, He shows that he is God's people. He's the true Adam. Uh, Adam failed to reflect the glory of God. Jesus came, and as the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus is the true Adam. He's the promised seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. Remember we talked about that? The one who... Her descendant who would crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent would bruise his heel, healed, that's Jesus. That happened on the cross. He's the promised uh, last or second Adam. Uh, Paul said, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. He's the true Adam. God's glory is not reflected in him. He owns it himself. Jesus is the true Israel. He is the promised offspring of Abraham. He is the promised king from the line of David. This this word Christ, anointed one, Messiah, it's interesting. Uh, Every prophet, every priest, and every king were anointed by oil in Israel. And when it says that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, He is the prophet, the priest, the king. He's the true representative of Israel. And then, you may not have known this, but when I first heard this, I was shocked and amazed, it's so cool, that the gospel writers compare Jesus to Israel in several ways as they tell his story. Matthew said that Jesus, when he was a boy and his parents were bringing him back up from Egypt, uh, back into Uh, uh, Judea, Um, Matthew said that 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 was to fulfill when God said about Israel, out of Egypt I called my son. So like Israel, Jesus came up out of Egypt. Like Israel, Jesus was tested not 40 years, but 40 days in the wilderness. Like Israel, Jesus crossed the Jordan. He was baptized in the Jordan River. Um, Jesus called 12 disciples 12 tribes, 12 disciples, and Jesus said that he was the true vine. Uh, Psalm 80 refers to Israel as the vine that God had planted. So Jesus is the true Israel. Israel was meant to be a light to the nations, and Jesus in his glory came to be that light. But Jesus is also God's place. We talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago, so I won't say much about it. Jesus is the true tabernacle and the true temple. John said, the word became flesh, Jesus took on flesh, and he tabernacled among us, and we saw his glory. Jesus called his own body the temple, and so just as the glory of God rested on and filled both the tabernacle and the temple in the midst of the people, Jesus has come to be the presence of God's glory in the midst of his people. Jesus is the place where God and men and women and boys and girls dwell together in God's presence. But Jesus also comes to rule by God's word. Um, and Jesus' blood seals the new covenant. Now, in this story we just read, Moses and Elijah both show up. Moses represents the Old Covenant. Remember the Ten Commandments given at Mount Sinai? And Elijah represents the prophets, and their job was to prosecute God's people for not keeping the law given at Mount Sinai, and then to promise them hope that God would send um, a Messiah uh, to save them from their breaking. So here are these two old covenant representatives standing on the mountain with Jesus, having this conversation um, with Jesus. Jesus, as we saw last week, is the one who comes and and mediates a new covenant. Um, Jesus is the true and better Moses. Um, He has a new exodus. When we read Luke 9 a while ago, it said, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. That word departure, in Greek, is exodus. Jesus has come to be the mediator of a new exodus, the mediator of a new covenant. Um, he's the true and better no, uh, Moses. He's also the new king. Um, He's the son of David, Matthew said. The son of Abraham, Matthew said. Jesus is the son of Abraham that was promised before the law was given and he's the son of David whose rule will never end. And This is why God says, this is my chosen one, my son. Listen to him. He's the king now. Listen to him. And Jesus, as the new king, gives a new commandment. He said, That night after the supper, to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. The king has come. Listen to him. And then what about God's blessing? How does Jesus uh, fulfill that? Remember in the story we just read in Luke 9, um, this cloud came down on them all, the disciples the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, were there in the cloud with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. This cloud is not just what we get up here on Signal Mountain, you know, some fog. This is the glory cloud. This is the Shekinah glory of God that rested on the tabernacle, on the temple that was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud, a pillar of cloud by, by day. It has come and rested on them. This is the cloud of glory that God wouldn't allow Moses to see. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I can't do that. It'll kill you. So he put him in a little cave in a rock and put his hand over him, the Bible says. And he passed by him and just kind of let him see glimpses of the glory. This is the glory cloud that the people of God couldn't go near when it was on the mountain and touch it or get near it or they would die. And now here, are the these three disciples in the cloud with Jesus, and and Peter, being Peter, says <laughs> he he says it's good for us to be here. I think I'll be up, build a tent for you and Moses and Elijah, and we'll just camp out. You know it. it Luke goes on to say, not knowing what he was saying, he didn't know what he was saying, but he was right. It is good for us to be in the presence of God's glory and not be destroyed. It is good for us to camp out in the presence of God's glory. That's what God's blessing is, is God dwelling with us and us dwelling with him in his glory forever. But Jesus is like, not yet. This is just a taste of what's to come. And it's no accident that when the glory cloud was lifted and Moses and Elijah were gone and the Father said, listen to Jesus, that Jesus was the only one standing there when it was all said and done. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Friends, the blessing of unhindered fellowship With the great and glorious and gracious and good God comes through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus alone is our righteousness. Paul said, All of us have sinned and fallen short of that glory. We have no righteousness of our own. We should be destroyed by that glory. And yet, Jesus gave us his righteousness. Jesus alone is our only hope for right standing with God and entrances into his glory. R.C. Sproul said, the only way sinners can get past the gates of heaven is by by wearing the robes of someone else's righteousness. That's Jesus. Jesus alone is the blessing of rest. Um, He's our only hope for rest in God's presence forever. The glory of God. Of God forever. And that's why Jesus was able to say, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I was talking with the men at Bible study yesterday about this thought, but how amazing is this thought that in Jesus we can rest in the presence of the glory that should destroy us. We can rest in the embrace of the arms that should crush us because we're rebels. It's all possible. It's all possible because sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God and who have no righteousness of their own, we can find rest in the embrace of His love because He is the one who had to suffer and be rejected and be killed and be raised so that His people could enter His kingdom. That's Isaiah 53 that we read this morning. Out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, My servant, make many to be accounted righteousness. He shall bear their iniquities. All of these reasons These are all reasons why we should listen to Jesus. And this story about Jesus is so crazy. It's so amazing. It's so foreign to the way we think things ought to be. It's not something we could come up with, and that's why it is something that has come from outside of us. Um, In Matthew's account of this story, um, when, when Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. I want to ask you this morning, has he revealed to you that Jesus is the King? That Jesus is all of these things? as he revealed to you that he's the only one who has the right and the ability even and the love for you even to tell you your story? My question for you, I think, his question for you this morning is the same question he had for the disciples. That is, who do you say that I am? And if you say Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, then he has this to say. Well, here's what you do with that. He said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. Friends, there is coming a day when Jesus will come back in that same white-hot glory and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The question is, are we going to submit and bow and call him Lord as his enemy or as his friend. And he says, if you want to be on the right side of my glory, if you want to be on the right side of my kingship, then you need to deny yourself. Uh, Repent. Deny yourself. Repenting is saying, I'm not the king. I have rebelled against your rule.'" And we bow before him in humble desperation. And then he says, take up your cross daily. Believe, trust me. Wrap your entire identity around this king, Jesus. Nail your life to his work for you that he did for you as your substitute. Stake your life on Jesus Christ alone. And he says, do it every single day. Friends, whether you've never done this before, or whether you're like many of us here who have, we've done this before, we still have to do it. We have to take up our cross daily. We have to wrap our identity around the one who hung on the cross for us every single day. This is how Jesus asks you to respond to him this morning. And then he says, follow me. Follow me. Submit yourself and your life to me as your king. Listen to me. Listen to me, Jesus says, as I tell you my story and your story. Learn from me what it means to live by my new commandment, to love others as I have loved you. Join him, he says, in his mission to make disciples of your neighbors, of the nations, and the next generation. Friends, this Jesus, he's the only one who can tell you the story of the world. He's the only one who can tell you your story. Listen to him. Father, we ask that you would, uh, that you would do what you did with Peter and that you would reveal to us, open the eyes of our hearts, open the ears of our hearts so that we can hear King Jesus say, I'm the author of this story. I want you to be a part of it. Come, come, rest in me. Come, come, learn from me. Come, come. I've done all this so that you could come and be with me and see my glory. Father, would you do that in each of us this morning? Some of us have walked with you for a long, long time, and yet it's gotten old and tired. And you're calling us to listen to you. We've been listening to too many other voices, and you're calling us out and saying, Listen to me. Come on. Father, there are some of us who have never listened to you before and never responded, and you're saying, come, listen to Jesus. Let him tell you what reality really is. Let him tell you your story. Would you do that in us this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.